Welcome to QAV episode 503. My name is Cameron Riley. If you're brand new, welcome to the show. This is a show where I talk with my friend Tony Kynaston about investing. He's a very successful share investor, been doing it for 30 years, gets very good returns. And he has a system, a methodology that he calls QAV, which stands for quality at value, buying shares in quality businesses at the right value. We want to get them at a discount to what we think the valuation is. It's basically classic uh, value investing uh, that Tony learned from studying the likes of Warren Buffett. And he's you know made a few tweaks to it over the years. And basically, we teach his system on the show. We go through market news and we answer some questions from some of our subscribers about how Tony thinks about this and that and the other. There's probably, uh, if this is your first time, there's probably going to be some stuff that'll go over your head. That's okay. Um, You can go back and listen to some of our getting started in uh, episodes when you're ready and you'll understand a bit more about Tony's background and the methodology. This week on the show, in the free edition, we'll be talking about the current market volatility, whether or not we should wait it out and go to cash. We discuss recent articles about investing, quote unquote, in tech stocks and crypto that have been in the financial review. And uh, Tony does a deep dive on one of our stocks of the week, Rio Tinto. And then there's some more stuff in the club edition of the show, and I'll talk about that later. Without any further ado, let's get into the shoe. Welcome back to QAV503, TK. This is the, uh, what day is it today? Tuesday, the 25th of January, 2022, and the market is melting down. It's like the Wicked Witch of the West. It's, I'm melting, <laughs> I'm melting. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I wish you'd done that intro for me this morning because January the 25th is a special day for us. It's it's my wedding anniversary and I forgot completely about it. <laughs> Are you melting? Yeah. <laughs> Did Jenny throw a bucket of water over you? Well, Jenny's in Sydney and I'm still at Cape Shank. She rang me at 9.30 and I thought, oh, something's wrong because we normally talk in the evenings after our day's finished and we've got stuff to talk about and she's normally working Anyway, she rang up to wish me happy anniversary. <laughs> wow. Yeah. After 24 years. Dude, don't you have staff to, you know, organize anniversary presents for your wife? I thought that's what rich people always did. They have people to take care of this stuff. I'll have to in the future. I don't even have it in my diary. I um, I was so good. This is the first time I've ever forgotten. I was so good at remembering that uh, I didn't even bother about it. But, yeah, I have to change my truth. But in my defense, like, it's hard to even keep track of days down here, let alone dates. It's just wonderful. <laughs> well, and the market's melting down. She can't expect you to remember trivial things like your wedding anniversary <laughs> when people on our Facebook group are uh, having a conniption. No, they're not, actually. I'm, I'm quite surprised and pleased. They're not, which is good. Yeah, everyone's just sort of laughing it off and going, ah, you know, which is good. Taylor, not so much, but we'll get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know why the market's melting down. It's because meatloaf died. I mean, I took it hard, uh, and I think the rest of the world's taking it hard as well. I mean, uh, true, he hadn't really done much of consequence since uh, 1978, but, you know, that was enough to uh, change the world forever. I'm, I'm guessing, though, you're probably not a big Meatloaf fan. No, I'm a big fan of his acting. I really liked his uh, Fight Club character, but not, not the music side, no. I mean, I think 
When did Bat Out of Hell come out? 77? 77, 78, yeah. I was well and truly into punk rock by then, and he was just part of the old group who had to move on. That whole Rocky Horror <laughs> stuff was just, uh, devil's <laughs> like a, you had to throw some holy water at it and make the sign of the cross and move them on <laughs> and melt them down, just like the market. <laughs> Well, I made some meatloaf jokes in our, one of our posts and James Simpson said, and much like QAV stock pick strike rate, two out of three ain't bad. Now, I, I laughed at that and I said to James, I'm going to steal that. But I think I did use that on an early episode of QAV. I think if we go back through the archives, I've made that meatloaf reference before talking about our 60% strike rate. But uh, I had forgotten and James pulled it out. So, you know, shout out to James. So back to the market. It's at its lowest point since May of 21, and I remember having a joke in the newsletter a few weeks ago when it was at its all-time high. Three weeks ago, the AORD was at its its all-time high. I remember writing in the newsletter, don't let the fact that supply chains around the world have ground to a halt (laughs) and this is going on and that is going on and COVID and blah, blah, blah. No, the market's going, everything's great at an all-time high and now we've just wiped out in one week the market's wiped out eight months worth of uh, gains but I thought the market was uh, rational Tony and that uh, all of these things are built in and it's all factored in and everyone knows what's going on (laughs) and it's a perfect storm of really intelligent highly paid (laughs) professionals. The efficient market theory hey complete bunk. I mean the the market hates uncertainty, and there's certainly plenty of uncertainty. Most analysts are attributing it towards around interest rates, which has certainly caused the high growth stocks to, to pull back. But clearly, there's one thing the Australian market hates even more than uncertainty. It's the certainty of seeing the American market go down. So we typically fall in lockstep. People get up in the morning, see what the US market's done overnight, and then trade accordingly. So I think there's a lot of that going on at the moment. Our market is overvalued, but not to the extent that the US market is, and especially not to the extent that the NASDAQ market is. So there's a, more than one thing happening, as there always is. And it's not just interest rates. It's the Ukraine and what Russia will do there. And if, you know, then people start extrapolating if Russia goes into Ukraine, will China use that as a distraction and go into Taiwan? And people's minds spin out of control when there's a tiny bit of uncertainty going on. And in fact, it's not even really that uncertain. Interest rates are going to go up. So it's, that's pretty certain that they, they may not go up as quickly as now that the market's coming off, but they're going to go up. They have to. I mean, if they go down, that's probably even a worse outcome for the market than if they go up. So, yeah, <laughs> there's always a lot of um, overreaction going on. But all of this uncertainty was there three weeks ago when the market was at an all-time high and everyone was buoyant. Yeah. At the time, I was like, what's going on? Everyone Like the market's booming and yet, you know, there's chaos happening everywhere. I don't see what's changed in the last three weeks that's taken us from being at peak market to crashing and burning and everyone running for the hills. <laughs> well, I'm sure if we divine the tea leaves, we'll find out that Jerome Powell said something about interest rates in the last three weeks, which has spooked the market, especially the high growth side of the market. It's also, don't forget, it's also we're coming into reporting season in Australia, but it is quarterly reporting season in the US. and. Stocks like Netflix and Peloton, which are high growth stocks, were smashed last week because of their their quarterly numbers not being up to what the analysts thought. So there's a bit of that going on too. 
As for Russia and the Ukraine, I think uh, US government and Western media have been predicting the US is going to invade Ukraine every year since 2014. So uh, it's nothing new. The US or the US? The US or the Russia? US has been predicting that Russia is going to invade Ukraine oh, right. every year for the last eight years. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but it uh, just seems like that's a bit of a rinse and repeat story. <laughs> well, there is, isn't there 100,000 troops lined up on the border now? I think that's different. It's their border. It's their country. They're putting troops on their border. It's not like, anyway, don't get me started. Oh, I could go on for hours on that. No, I know. It's theatre it's theater for different reasons, isn't it? For different consumption. Yeah, well, who knows what's driving it. Uh, I'll pick it apart on a bullshit filter episode next week, I think. But um, Taylor called me earlier. He and his buddy Chris finally nutted up earlier this week, did a checklist and decided to go and invest a big chunk of their money. They've been dabbling in QAV for the last six or eight months. You know, they think, I think they bought like five stocks each six or eight months ago and a couple of those went up. Remember, I think three of them went up like 60%. Taylor was like, ah, Tony, Tony doesn't know what he's doing. And they've all come back (laughs) since then. And his others, you know, went backwards in the first place. He's like, oh, this QAV thing, look at that, it's not working. Like, well, you only bought five stocks, champ. You got to you gotta follow the rules. <laughs> anyway, he was saying, look, uh, Chris bought a bunch of stocks uh, Monday and now they're all down. Everything's down. Surely we should be going to cash and not investing in the market. And I was trying to talk him through, we've touched on this before, but I figured we've got a lot of new people listening and they may not have heard us talk about this before. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there thinking, is this the time when you just go to cash, you get out of the market? Can you use a three-point trend line to determine when the market is going to turn around versus being fully invested? Do you want to just walk us quickly through your thinking around that kind of stuff? Yeah, and and I actually have revisited that thinking in the last few days because it would be great if we could time the market. I mean, we've been talking about this now for probably three months, maybe even six months, about signs that the market's becoming quite toppy. And people have been talking – with us since the start of QAV three years ago about the cap-shiller ratio being at its all-time high in the US for stocks. Um, and then I was talking about recently the second world's second tallest building being built, which was always a sign that the market is um, flush with lots of cheap capital and people start to build glorious edifices to themselves. And not just that, I remember there was a listener last year who wrote in and said, you know, the ASX has just become a three-point trend line seller. Is that a sign to go to cash? And I remember us talking about that and saying that, no, because some QAV stocks will do well even when the market's down. And also, too, I did go back and check that analysis on the market going back over a number of years. And even though it may have correlated this time and we're kind of six months since that question was raised or three to six months since that question was raised, it doesn't always correlate. And going to cash at the wrong time is is a... It's a death trap if you're an investor. And you can just ask Hamish Douglas about that. He's been in cash I had a large cash holding with the Magellan Fund since the COVID cough, and his share price is now less than a quarter of what it was at its high point. So there's always a lot of signals that the market is getting into overvalued territory. We could sell out at those points when they start to appear, but I've also been in markets where the market goes up another 40 or 50% in that last sort of bull run, and that can be a really magnificent time to make money. The only tried and true 
way of being able to tell when to go to cash is to use the three-point trend lines and rule one. And I've sold, I sold ANZ recently because it, it went down. I'll probably have to sell some other things, but I'm not sitting on cash. I'm going to re, I have reinvested the ANZ money into Champion Iron, which we spoke about a week or two ago. So there are still things to buy. We're going to do a pulled port later on a stock that is still going up. So market turmoil may mean the index is down. It may mean the blue chips are down. It may mean the high flying stocks are down, but it doesn't mean we're down and out. And there are stocks still on our buy list that you can buy. But applying our rules will tell us when to go to cash. I, I haven't gone to cash yet. I wouldn't be surprised if we wake up tomorrow and there's been a market rally in the States because some, that's the way it works. It's like a pendulum. It swings too far one way sometimes. I, I wouldn't also be surprised if the market's down again tomorrow. That's just how it works. And this is like an argument, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an argument between people like Jeremy Grantham who are saying, I told you so, the market's overvalued. We're all doomed. And he said that every second year for the last 20 years. And the bulls, the, I've forgotten the lady's name now, who runs Zark Investments, that were still in the dawn of a bright future for uh, green stocks and ESG stocks and Tesla and stocks like that, and we should still invest. So it's an argument that goes on every day, and eventually there'll be some more certainty that comes back to the market. But volatility is our friend. Don't forget that. We're not anywhere near like we were going into the COVID cough in March 2020 when we did go to cash. And if you recall, it was only a month after that that we made some of our best returns for a long time. So that's just the way the market works. Kathy Wood would be the ARK Innovations uh, lady. Thank you. Yeah, Kathy Wood. Yeah, I was explaining to Taylor that, uh, yeah, the whole market can be down, but our job is to try and find the winners inside of that. We're looking for the stocks that are counter-cyclical that are doing well while the rest of the market is plummeting, if we can find them. And, you know, I, I, like you, I had to sell ECX. I had to rule one some of my ECX holdings the other day, and I, but I w- replaced them with EHL. And then I had to get rid of Blue Scope today, uh, rule one again, and replaced them with CIA. Like you, I picked up some CIA, which is uh, still doing well, not a Josephine. There are stocks out a lot of There's a lot of Josephines out there, but the, there are some that aren't. And it's our job to find those and buy them. Not all of our picks will work out, obviously, but hopefully we can find enough to keep growing while the rest of the market's tanking. Correct. It is some short term, you know, don't want to de-emphasize that. I mean, we're we're back and the VEXA portfolio was down four and a half percent for the week. That's our dummy portfolio. So yeah, it's it's not nice to see your your positions go backwards, but this is what happens. It's always two steps forward, one step back. And that's how it's going to be for the rest of time in terms of the share market. I mean, there are pragmatic things you can do. I did spend a bit of time on the weekend going through my portfolio and our dummy portfolio and updating my alerts, both for rule ones and for sell prices. So that's something that people can be doing. So I did get an alert on ANZ. I got an alert on a stock I don't own, which was on our buy list called New Farm. Um, I'd been following it because it was um, a large cap and it was on our buy list and potentially therefore was not a buy opportunity for me going forward, but it won't be now. So, uh, yeah, it's a good time to make sure you're on top of your alerts and uh, know what your three-point trend prices are and, uh, and your rule ones. Yeah. Moving along, you sent me something about an article in the Financial Review about the perils of high-flying tech stocks, mentioning talking about Cathie Wood and ARK Innovations. Yeah. So, this, I mean, this is the quote that gets trotted out all the time 
once or well, I shouldn't say all the time, every time there's a market downturn. So probably once every five to seven years, the famous buffer quote that when the tide goes out, we'll see who's been swimming without shorts or something like that. <laughs> and Swimming naked. Swimming naked, yeah. And this is one of those times that he's always warned that buying high valuation, high sorry, high growth stocks with high prices and ridiculous valuations is always in the short term going to make you money, but in the long term going to really hurt you. And it's this kind of time when you can see how it gets hurt. So the FANG, if you look at the FANG stocks, the F-A-A-N-G stocks on the US market, which is your alphabets and your apples and your Netflixes and your Googles and your what well, was Facebook when it was called FANG, it's now called Meta. So it's the, the MANG stocks or the MANG stocks now, I guess. But if you take those five stocks out of the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ is down more than 40% from its 12 months high. And even some of those stocks, like I said, Netflix is down 20% after its results came out last week. So those high growth stocks are, are dropping quickly. And that's always been the problem. And if you look at Block, which was the old Afterpay, which listed on the ASX last week, it's now down 50% from its high as well. And if you look at Bitcoin, it's almost down 50% from its high. Last time I had a look, it was $35,000 US a coin and its high was 67000 And the I guess the core of the AFR article I posted was that the performance of Berkshire Hathaway now is catching up to Cathie Wood's ARC fund. They're almost neck and neck. And I think it's for the calendar year, but it might be for the financial year. So it's just the old... Buffett saying about tides, these things come in cycles. And if you, you you can put your money in these high growth stocks for a while and make money, but don't leave it there because they, when the market turns, these are the ones that always get, get dumped. They get smashed. Which you've been telling me for three years. And uh, Afterpay had a dip during the COVID cough, but then it came rocketing back. And then it then it stopped. <laughs> now it's hard to get. <laughs> yeah. The people that bought it a few years ago and held onto it and sold it at the peak probably did, well, would have done very well out of it. But as we kept saying, well, how do you know when the right time is to buy and how do you know when the right time is to sell for something like this? How do you decide when it's undervalued? It's really difficult to apply any sort of science and methodology to it. Although I know Steve Mab and uh, Lee again were working on something based, I think, on the work that Steve did at the ASA. They're trying to work out some algorithms for these high growth stocks. So I'm sure they'll come up with something really interesting, but it's whatever it is, you need to have some sort of science and logic behind it, which uh, there may be some people out there that are super, super smart that have worked this out. But I suspect that the vast majority of people investing in these things are just doing it by FOMO. There's no science behind it. Well, exactly. And that's, uh, you know, good luck to Steve. I hope he does come up with something and I hope he shares it with us too, if it works. That it'd be great to be able to profit out of these cycles. And they are cyclicals. I mean, the thing that worries me about sometimes the way I look at it is these stocks are almost like pump and dumps. Yeah, sure. Buffett's out there saying, oh, value investing is great. But he's not out there saying, you know, hyping Walmart or hyping Berkshire Hathaway railroads. He's not telling people to buy shares in those things. The same way that Kathy Wood's out there hyping every day in the press, buy Tesla, buy Tesla, it's a great investment. And uh, I'm not in by any means trying to impugn Kathy's motives or, or her abilities or anything like that. But the whole high growth stock thing does have the flavor of pump and dump. It's people who, and for whatever reason, they buy these stocks cheaply. Maybe they buy 100 and then when, when one or two do well, they get behind them and they push them and push them and push them. And that helps the price to go up. And as you say, it becomes FOMO and then people jump in. 
And then, uh, yeah, it, it all ends in tears when the punch ball gets taken away, as Ben Bernanke used to say, or Greenspan, I think it was, used to say. Yeah, and there is a there's a cosy relationship. I talked about this in the psychopath epidemic. There's this cosy cosy relationship often between venture capital money, big investing funds, and the you know in the tech industry. I saw this when I was in the tech industry. Like very, there's a tight relationship between the venture capital industry in Silicon Valley and the tech media out of Silicon Valley. And so, what would often happen is you'd have whatever the hot startup of the period was. And sadly, it was never really podcasting, but uh, other things at the time that would come along. You know, there was always the flavor of the month thing. And you'd see these uh, venture capital firms sinking tons of money into these startups. Then their friends in the tech media would be pumping these things. This is going to be the next big thing. This is going to take over the world. This is going to be huge. Then they would start to float. The original VCs obviously had a good exit with the float, some of their equity, and then they would hold on to some and they'd have their friends in the media pump it up and pump it up and pump it up. Then they'd eventually exit just as all these uh, wannabe copycat companies would launch an IPO and all the punters who missed out on the first round would try and get in in the second round. And then these things would all crash and burn. Maybe one would survive. Quite often, none of them would survive or they'd pivot into something else or whatever. And then you just see the cycle rinse and repeat every few years. Then it's the the VCs are on the new thing and the cycle starts all over again. And yeah, it always struck me as this cozy little pump and dump. And no one ever went, date to the tech journalist, hold on, the thing you were pumping three years ago just fell over and burned. Well, why are we listening to you now? Because no one remembers. It just time moves on and, you know, they just pump a new thing coming along. And a lot of this, a lot of the Bitcoin stuff and the the high tech stuff just does remind me a lot of that cycle, the cozy relationship between the big investing funds and uh, the finance media in this space. Your problem was when you started podcasting, you didn't get uh, Henry Bloggett to take 10% of your company and then go and sprout it to the the dot-com world for you Mm -hmm. and uh, make money that way. That's what I should have done. (laughs) Speaking of crypto, I saw a good article in The Fin this morning by Kevin Davis, who's a professor of finance at the University of Melbourne, article titled, Why Crypto is Gambling and Not Investing. And I thought, hello, he's been listening to our podcast. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to Kevin if you're listening in, because we've been saying that on this show for three years. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's good. It's good that that article balanced the other ones that have been in the AFR in the last week or two. That rich people are thinking about getting into to Bitcoin now. It's come off its highs. That's almost irresponsible journalism, I think. Yeah, is there such a thing as responsible journalism these days? <laughs> not a lot of it out there. I got to got to be honest. Yeah, it's rotting in Belmore Prison. Yeah, that's true. Belmarsh, Belmarsh. Oh, Belmarsh is it? Sorry. Hey, do you think when um, Assange goes to the trial, they'll, they'll put him in a box and then? like wheel him out from his cell down like a trolley car, (laughs) clockwork (laughs) railway. Really slowly. Really, really slowly. With mood lighting. (laughs) Making a reference, Uh, obviously, to uh, Blofeld in the most recent James Bond film, who was also in in Belmarsh Prison. (laughs) They threw Blofeld in with Julian Assange. Uh, when Jenny and I are watching, I'm going, hang on, Belmore Prison must be like 100 years old, if, if not double that. <laughs> like, there's no way there's a, there's a railway to bring prisoners out of their cells. <laughs> what the movie should have been is Blofeld in Belmarsh with Julian and the two of them cooking up something together to yeah. take down 
MI5 and Bond and the whole thing. That would have been worth watching. <laughs> well, maybe Julian Assange is the next 007. Well, I've been working on a comic book script. I don't know if I've ever told you about this. I've been working on it on and off for years. And it back before Julian was in prison, in fact. But it starts off with Superman flying into the Batcave and saying to Batman, hey, have you, have you seen all this stuff that uh, WikiLeaks have been publishing about how the US is sponsoring terrorists all around the world? Why are we mucking around with the Joker and the Riddler? We should be taking down the military contractors and the lobbyists. They're the real evil. And Batman just turns to him and goes, who do you think has been funding WikiLeaks for the last 10 years, you dipshit? It's the Wayne Foundation that's been funding it all. About time you woke up. Let's go. Strap on. Anyway. That's my fantasy superhero world. Well, that's how the Wayne Foundation makes its money, isn't it? Selling high tech to the military. Yeah, well, in in the recent uh, Christopher Nolan versions of uh, the story, yeah, like a Stark, Tony Stark. All right. Well, you want to get into your deep dive, your pulled pork? No, just a couple of other things to talk about, sorry, before we do. A couple of stocks in the news. So Confession Season has claimed a couple of Stocks on the buy list. Adairs, ADH, has been on the buy list for a while. It's been with Josephine for a long time, so I don't know if anyone would be owning it, but uh, they came out and fessed up to the fact that their sales haven't been great during Omicron, so their stock dropped like a stone in the last couple of days. One I own, South 32, they actually published some good sales numbers in that they're a miner, which is funny, out of BHP that mines all the the things that BHP didn't want back then, but are now all the Vogue stocks now that are doing well, like your coppers and your zincs and your nickels and aluminium and things like that. And um, they've been doing really well over the last 12 months, but they're, they're down, I think, 3 or 4% the last time I looked anyway, because they said their costs had been increased because of Omicron. So sales were up, margins were good, but costs were up. So it spooked the market a little bit. And the last one happened in the last, well, happened overnight. So I own shares in West African Resources, WAF, and that's been smashed today because there's been a military coup in Burkina Faso. So if you do have a, a hotline to Superman, can you tell him to go in and fix the um, West African military for me, please? Because uh, West African Resources has dropped a, a lot, like 15 20% in the last, uh, well, today. It's getting down close to a rule one to me. It's way above its three-point trend sell line. Because it's a gold stock and it's been doing well, but it's it's retraced a lot of its um, gains for the last twelve months. And I just highlight it so if people haven't come across that in the news, they can check their alerts are set for West African resources as well. So you you want me to get Superman to be your private merc and go and you know rough people up for the sake of your portfolio? Is this is this meet your ESG uh, framework, Tony? I'll give him 10% of the portfolio. <laughs> he, can, he can make sure it always goes up for me. <laughs> I had to rule one West African resources uh, quite a while ago, I think. I think it's been a little bit rocky for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been up and down because there's been military coups in the neighbouring countries and it got uh, put in that whole general area when some of the other ones came off and then it went up again and now it's come back again. I don't know what the result will be of the coup. It's a breaking situation and obviously I'm not an expert, so we'll have to let sentiment guide us on this one. Yeah, I think uh, when we talked about it a while back, you did highlight the fact that stocks like that were subject to some form of sovereign risk or foreign stuff going on. Correct. This is exactly an example of sovereign risk that 
things come out of the blue like this in countries that aren't near us and that we don't know much about. So yeah, sovereign risk is very much alive and, and well with this one. And that's one of the reasons why it was so cheap. I mean, it was it's a very profitable company in a gold miner when gold's gone up a lot, uh, even though it's been level for a while, but it's been cheap because of sovereign risk. And looks like that may cause us to sell it, but we'll see what happens. Okay, what else you got? No, that's it. Pulled pork now, thanks. All right. So stocks of the week this week, uh, which I chose yesterday morning, Monday morning, were RVR and RIO, two miners. Uh, Both looked okay at the time, but lots happened in the last 24 hours. Of course, as I tell tell people every week when I put out the stocks of the week, you know, check them for a Josephine before you do anything because a lot can change, particularly in a turbulent market like this. And uh, you emailed me this morning and said that RVR has in fact become a Josephine since then. Yeah, it was down like 15% today last time I had a look. So something's going on there. Yikes. Yeah, small cap minus. I don't know much about it. So I'm going to focus on Rio for the pulled pork. Rio Tinto. Never heard of them. What do they do, Tony? <laughs> well, it's kind of surprising because they, they shot themselves in the foot a lot in the last 12 months. They've been in the news, which is not what you're not for all the good reasons. But anyway, Rio Rio Tinto, big miner, one of the big cap stock on the ASX, largely iron ore. The iron ore makes up 76% of its revenues, but it also has some copper, bauxite, aluminium, or aluminia, alumina, sorry, I'll get the pronunciation right, diamonds and titanium oxide. So it has diversified a bit and has had some good news in the papers recently in the last day or so. So They've been trying for a long time to sort out a copper mine called OU Tolgai. I hope I pronounced that right because I've never heard it mentioned. I've only read it in um, Mongolia. And uh, just in the last day or so, it looks like they may have sorted out their problems with the Mongolian government and the old OU Tolgai copper mine will go ahead, which is a big deal for Rio and and, um, will boost the amount of copper that they have in their mix. So that... That may change things for us. I mean, the mine won't happen, won't get started for a while and won't happen for a while. So not, not a short-term issue, but that's another. If, if copper does become a big part of Rio, we'll have to reassess whether we treat it as an iron ore stock or a copper stock or both. So at the moment, it's predominantly iron ore. Last year, it mined itself in controversy. It blew up an Aboriginal or a First Nations sacred site in a place called Jukang Gorge which was a terrible thing to, to take place and seemed like management were at sixes and sevens in dealing with it. And it, eventually it claimed the scalp of the old CEO and the CFO has been promoted now to uh, to running the company. So a lot of things going on with Rio Tinto, more than you'd want to see in a, a big blue chip miner, but um, things might be turning around. It came back onto our buy list recently. So it, it scores a, a point for that. It's a recent three-point upturn after going off when iron ore stocks dropped, but also it was also a three-point trend sell, probably because of the Jukon Gorge controversy. Today, the share price is $1.6.9, so almost $1.7, so 25th of January. And it is just slightly under the consensus target, so it scores a point for that, for share price. It's a star income stock, and it scores half a point for that the stock doctor. And the reason why it's a star income stock is because, well, one of the reasons is because it has a yield of eight, nearly 8.5%. So that's that's very high and certainly above the bank rate. So it scores a one for that. Financial health is strong and steady, as you'd expect from a, a really big, large cap company like this. So it scores for those. For people who are interested, the ROE is 35%. 
Uh, and the prop calf, the, the um, price to operating cash flow was 5.6 times. So that's uh, it's getting up there, but um, it's still, you know, when you consider it to be a large cap stock on the ASX, it's still very cheap. P is seven, which is not a record low for the last six halves. So it doesn't score for that, but still a low PE. And the interesting thing with, with this company is that the PE is less than the yield. So that's always been a, a low value indicator to me or a great uh, value buy indicator to me. Never heard anyone else talk about it, but certainly something I've observed over my years in the stock market. So it gets a point for that on our, our QAV score list. It's uh, less than its IV2. It's just above its IV1 and it's less than two times its IV2. So it scores at one point for each of those. It's got a high growth profile. So growth over PE is three times, which is twice what we want to see to get onto our checklist. And it scores a two for growth. As I said before, it's a new three-point upturn. Uh, even though it's been a buy for a long time, it did come off the list at the end of last year. Equity has been bouncing around a bit, so it doesn't get a, a score for that. So overall, the, the quality side of things, 83%. And the QAV total, when we, we take into account the prop calf is 0.15%. Given it's got an average daily trade of 117 million, it's certainly one that would fit every investor's criteria. Very good. Thank you, TK. Well, that's all the time we have for the free episode this week. Uh, on the club edition, we went for another, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour, I think, this week. Um, got stuck into talking about how the bank bill swap rate works, whether or not new investors should wait until the end of the reporting season before building their portfolio. We're getting back to the buy, follow, sell rule and how it applies to CBA, possible reasons why KRM has gone up and MQG has gone down recently, and the the challenges of uh, placing orders at market value. So for uh, brand new listeners, just to explain that we have a free episode each week goes for about half an hour. We also have a, a premium episode, a club edition that goes for an extra half an hour to an hour each week. That's for our club members. They also get access to our private Facebook group and to the Bible and the checklist and to you know our dinners and VIP calls and a bunch of other stuff. Extra, lots of extra extra content. That's for people who are really ready to get serious about uh, becoming good investors, I guess, learning everything that they can. If you want to check out all of that stuff, go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au. Sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to check out all the content and see if it's something you think would be right for you. Otherwise, uh, if you're not ready to do that, that's fine. Just keep listening to the uh, free episodes and uh, join our free newsletter and um, on the, which you can find on the website join our free Facebook group so you can get updates uh, and keep listening to the podcast subscribe to it on all of your uh, favorite podcasting platforms that's it for us this week take care stay safe out there with the omicrons and uh, keep your head above water with the current market volatility it will this too will pass cheers. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFS cell 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.